want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, play hearts, keep Hello and welcome to the Televerse Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? I'm work free for the time being. Is this a good thing? Are we are we happy about this? Are we nervous about this? I think the, the way this usually goes is I'm going to spend a few days happy about it and then I'm going to be really, really anxious about it and then eventually I'll, I'll be okay with it and then I'll be really anxious about it and then it's just going to keep going in that cycle. You're sick again. What's wrong with you? Well, I just... I. I was doing this thing where I wasn't really sleeping because I was getting all those Doctor Who articles up, and then eventually my immune system says no, no. Um, so yeah, this last week was like critical mass, and it pushed me over the edge, which is why my Doctor Who review is my review of the special is not up yet. Uh, we'll be talking about it. Yes, I apologize profusely. Um, I have a many thoughts, which is why I haven't just shifted off to one of other fabulous writers. Because I do have a lot of things to say about it, um, but unfortunately, my immune system is not really letting me at the moment do long stretches of you know cognitive thought. That's where the the cold meds kind of make that a little little tricky. But hopefully soon it will be up. I apologize to my fellow Whovians. I will do my best to get that up in the next couple of days. Hopefully before Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, well, you just don't get sick. So we're like the the opposite of you know yin and yang of sickness. No, and yet I I guarantee you that when I get out to the country and enjoy the fresh air, I will get sick within a week. I promise you that will happen. Okay, well you'll have to keep us informed. I will. This week we're going to be talking with Depiance and Gupta, one of our fabulous contributors over at Send on Site, about Ben and Kate. I'm so excited, so excited to be talking about Ben and Kate. Uh, I remember when there was a good new sitcom last year. What was it called? Oh yeah, Ben and Kate. That doesn't seem to happen any. Well, we I guess we have Brooklyn Nine Nine, but it's not quite Ben and Kate, is it? That actually transitions us nicely to our feedback this week. We heard from a bunch of you guys on Facebook and Twitter and all of that. Um, we heard from James, who is really hoping that the governor doesn't make it to the second half of the season of The Walking Dead. I am right there with you, James. And he wants to know what are the best new shows of fall 2013. Now that we're coming to the mid-season break, Masters of Sex, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Sleepy Hollow, surprisingly. You're joining me on the on the Sleepy Hollow train, then. It it is there anything else really? Well, we haven't been watching Trophy Wife, but uh, we haven't been keeping up with that one. But I really liked it when I was. I'm hearing good things about the Goldbergs from a lot of people. Um, I know Ricky is a big fan of that. Our general editor over at Sound on Sight. Anything else come to mind? <laughs> Not really. There, there's been a lot of really great. TV, new TV this year. It just hasn't been in the fall. 
Yeah, not so much this season. And we've really got an embarrassment of riches in the first half of the year. Yes, it is. It is very, very true. And uh, then there, you know, there's also shows like like Moon Boy and Black Mirror and some of these other shows that are new to us, but have been around for a little bit. They're just airing in the in the U.S. for the first time and Canada as well. So th- those are the ones that I would more point to. Yeah, that's that sounds about right. I also wanted to mention the Green Girl, which is a documentary about Susan Oliver. I heard from one of the uh, one of the people involved with that, and uh, it sounds really interesting. It's a they're trying to get the funding together to make a documentary about Susan Oliver, who is known to most people as the Orion Slave Girl from Star Trek, uh, the from the pilot of, of Star Trek, and uh, and and she was, looks like she was an f- absolutely fascinating woman. And so I hope that comes together for you guys. Do you, if anyone is interested, should check out the Green Girl. Just Google it, and it'll and the website will come right up. Also heard from Carl, who loved the It Crowd or IT Crowd shelf, and he wants the internet for Christmas. Uh, I, I think I, I could I could do with one of those too. Nice little you know box of the internet on my desk. I I've learned not to ask for anything for Christmas. It it never arrives. Oh, that's way to bring things down. <laughs> that's delightful, there, Simon. We also heard from Mario, who uh, talked a little bit about Black Mirror, and we also uh, we talked a little bit about the music challenge on the Amazing Race this week. An hour? I mean, we'll get there, but an hour? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I, I've lost faith in. Nicole and Travis as a result. I've lost that faith in, in Nicole. I haven't lost faith in Travis, but come on. Yeah, and well, anyway, we'll 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 get there. We'll get there. Okay. Um, and Mario wants to know if we're still watching Blacklist, and because he's still watching Hostages, which is preposterous, but he's kind of fallen away from the Blacklist. I've fallen away from it in the past couple of weeks. I was trying to keep up with it just to have another new show besides Sleepy Hollow that I was watching a new hour long, uh, but I really don't miss it um, in the past couple of weeks. So no, I guess I'm not still watching it. Uh, it's still on the DVR. We'll see if I catch up over the, the holiday weekend, but for right now, uh, no. And uh, I'm curious, let me know how you're enjoying Hostages, because every time I see an ad come on, I'm just so glad I stopped after the pilot. Uh, we also talked with Ken about Doctor Who. Uh, he said, aren't most of the villains on, uh, or the bad guys on Doctor Who zombies and that they're slow moving and people w- run away from them? That, that that sounds about right. Yes, there's lots of running, a ridiculous amount of running on uh, Doctor Who. Also, we talked a little bit about the special and you uh, pointed out how the Gallifreyan women got uh, no speaking lines this week. They had a lovel- lovely council scene, sort of a war council and... Uh, no, just a bunch of dudes, bunch of dudes there. Uh, that was rather disappointing. And uh, he also, you know, there was a little back and forth about the fact that the resolution to Day of the Doctor was not the most creative they've done. It was basically a retread of several things they've done before in the past. And one of those, uh, Ken pointed out, was Fires of Pompeii. Very similar there. Um, we'll talk more about Doctor Who a little later in the show. I look forward to hearing your thoughts, Simon. I'll bet you do. But for now, let's take a break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with our week in comedy and reality. I know y'all gonna do a hip maneuver. (laughs) Hot sauce is so revered in the South that they rarely have a meal without it. I can dig that flavor and hip tang to it. If it has flavor nicety of the highest order, and it has tang nicety that mixes in, kill it. Sauce. And when I hit it, can't quit it. 
They call me Dr. Jones, known as the Night Tripper. Got my satchel of green in my hand. Then we tripping up and back down the bayou. I'm the last of the best. They call me the Greedy Man. This week in comedy and reality, we are talking Brooklyn Nine-Nine, South Park, Parks and Rec, and then in reality, Top Chef, New Orleans, and The Amazing Race. So let's kick things off with the comedies. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, what did you think? Why did you want to talk about it? Well, they've added Pat Oswalt to the repertoire, which is a smart... Is anybody even going to try challenging Pat Oswalt for TV MVP this year? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I've, been, I've been compiling my fifth man... Uh, or sixth man, you know, list like since the beginning of the year. I have I have another pick. He's he's Ooh. clearly on there, but uh, I I don't want it's, I want to save it to be a surprise in a couple weeks when we do our 2013 blowout. But yeah, I'm think I was actually going to ask you about that. Should we do instead of just one sixth man? Should we do like a top five of TV six men? It it could be uh, it could be argued. I mean, you've got people like Stephen Root comes to mind. I don't know if that's your pick or not. No, it's not. He okay. he was my pick last year, though. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. It, yeah, it's it's worth having a short list because there are a lot of people who are crossing the, the the streams, as it were. But yes, Oswald is just as good here as he generally is on comedies, and I, I, they're just on a roll. I think that they're doing a really good job doing different, you know, sort of doing the Parks thing of having different pairings of characters. I don't think the characters are as original. As I'd like, they already feel, I think, a little too familiar to us, which is a problem going forward because I think they need to have the capacity to to surprise us at some point. But I'm still really enjoying the show. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. It's nice to have him in uh, in the repertoire now and uh, repertory and and in a character that can easily recur. Uh, I, I would be surprised if we didn't see the fire chief every now and again. So that that was a nice touch. I also very much enjoyed all the foodie stuff. Every now and again, when they let Andre Brower get a, a line like, "It's the only one who ranks mouth uh, mouthfeel." Yes, it's just you know. Again, we just get that beautiful deadpan from Andre Brower, and he's just so fantastic. Along with you know Joe Latrulio, it's really nice to have Joe Latrulio on my TV every single week in a character that I actually particularly enjoy, rather than just a overly heightened sort of sketch character which is often where i've seen him on tv so it's it's nice to have him you know part of a very strong asset to the show as well yeah and like you said not definitely wacky but not nearly as wacky as we're used to from him yeah let's move on to south park a song of ass and fire i have not yet been able to catch up with south park but i i have been hearing rumblings about this game of thrones like three-part arc uh so what am i missing well i mean First of all, it's great how in the first episode, which aired last week, it's already very obvious they're doing a Game of Thrones parody combined with Black Friday craziness, which admittedly I only get part of because that's really just an American thing. Black Friday exists here as sort of a reverberation, but it's not nearly as big a deal. So there's something I'm missing in translation. But Yeah, I don't anyway. get Black Friday either. It's not just you. <laughs> No, but but you get that it's a thing, yeah, yeah, and you get the yeah. scope of it, whereas I don't really get the scope of it. Anyway, so you know, it, it's already very obvious that the parody is happening, but then midway through that first episode, 
uh, a character d- d- tries tries or suggests something that isn't in keeping with the theme, and one of the characters is just like, "No, Game of Thrones doesn't do that. We're not doing that." <laughs> so I, I appreciated that the betrayal garden jokes in the second episode are, are particularly great. Uh, just lots of great little touches, and I, I I really wish they'd do these multi episode arcs more often because a they're almost always great. And B, they actually do a really great job with structure, which is remarkable considering how quick the turnaround on these episodes is. So much so that by the end of the second episode, I'm assuming there's the third one this week and then that's going to be it. Although they could keep going as long as they want, really. They actually do a really great job of raising the stakes and complicating things in the way that Game of Thrones would. So that by the end of the second episode, I'm actually really curious to see how they're going to end it. Because, you know, you've got four, five, six opposing parties involved and the potential for great bloodshed. So <laughs> we'll see. I, I think it, there is a couple of gags here and there that fall flat, as always, with South Park, especially things that they just drive into the ground. Although I will say that one gag involving um, Game of Thrones and its and its obsession with, with dicks, as, um, as Butters puts it, starts off quite annoying and then actually has a really good payoff in the second episode. So little, little things like that. I, I greatly appreciate So it's, I, I feel like South Park is in a place where they manage three to five great episodes a season out of 14, which for a show running this long is actually really good. So kudos to them. And I'm hoping the third one lives up to the first two. Yeah. I'm fascinated now. I'm very intrigued. So we'll have to, I'll, I'll have to catch up this week so I, we can talk about it next week. Our final comedy we're discussing this week is Parks and Rec, Fluoride and the Cones of Dunshire. Two different episodes. What did you think? I was really underwhelmed by both episodes this week. I don't know if it's just me, but I thought these were almost laugh-free outings. I was really intrigued about having her lose uh, the, the recall, or I mean, having the recall go forward and what they were going to do with that. But it just kind of seems like they reverted to before, before that. Like they're not they're not sort of going anywhere new with that possibility. They're just kind of playing it safe, which is kind of too bad because they you know to 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 follow up such a surprising development with status quo episodes was disappointing to me. Okay, I can see where you're coming from. I mean, I thought that they worked and were entertaining. But you're right, if you introduce something as significant as this recall th- vote and uh, and then have almost no fallout, you know, well, I, I look forward to seeing what happens when she's actually out of office and she's back to just her old job. Because uh, I feel like that's where we should, you know, when it, when it finally does hit her. You know, that's that's where we should be seeing more character development. But um, I don't know. Maybe it, d- it does help that the the Cones of Dunshire, that opening, that, that cold open for that episode with with uh, Ben explaining the game. Uh, I was watching that with a little bit of a sheepish grin on my face because I'm pretty sure that's what I sound like when I try to explain even really basic game board games to my family uh, who are not of the board gaming you know, tribe. They don't have the gene. They don't have the gene in quite the same way. And they get frustrated with me. And uh, I have trouble understanding why they don't grasp these really, to me, very simple games. And I'm pretty sure the problem is that I am the worst explainer ever. So uh, so I really was enjoying the Ledger Master and, and all of that. And of course, the codes will be bigger. And uh, 
and it's like, should I do this one? Oh, but why are these green? And, and yeah, that I resemble that. So, uh, that, that I'm sure helped. I like to see the return of, of, of calzones. And I liked the, the, the dog, you know, selection, you know, the dog doppelgangers and all of that. So there was a lot in, in these episodes for me to like, but I do absolutely see where you're coming from thematically. How do you think they're prepping for Chris and Anne to leave? Well, we are these neither of these episodes even had Anne in them, so it feels like we're we're well into that. I mean, they they are introducing other characters like the the other guy in the office whose name I've already forgotten and Craig? frankly Craig, there you go. I don't know. He's kind of amusing, but I don't really see him as a permanent fixture. He could get old if they don't give him, you know, more nuance. More notes. Yeah, but I'm I'm really enjoying his one note for now. So if they can, you know, expand on him and develop him, then I think he could be a real asset. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. That they they clearly need something else to raise to keep the stakes going to, for there to be any stakes at all. Considering everyone just seems to be everyone except. Leslie seems to be headed for their cozy, happy ending. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, come on, though. You got to give them some props just for uh, Moby Dick having no symbolism and just being... That that was good, but but everything else with Ron lately is, is very much in their comfy, yes. comfy Ron Swanson cartoon comfort zone. Yes, that, that's that's true. That's very true. We'll see where they where they go next. We're not going to get any more Parks and Rec until I want to see January or maybe early February. So we're going to have a bit of a break again. Um, and uh, well, I don't I don't know that that affects the production schedule at all. But maybe that'll give them a little more time to kind of reevaluate where they're at and take some some maybe some new risks and go, get a little more daring. Also, Parks and Rec, NBC's highest rated comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thunk? Let's all just have a laugh. Okay, so what wins your week in comedy among these as well as the other comedies you watched this week? Uh, I'll, I'll give it to South Park because I don't get to do that very often. Okay. Um, I will give it to – I'll give it to the Cones of Dunshire. So I'll give it to Parks and Rec because I really did enjoy that other office, the, like the two scenes we see in it. All right. Let's move on to reality and thank you. I have to start with a thank you to Simon because I don't know that I would have made time for Top Chef this week because I was so behind on viewing. But he said, no, you got to check out Picking Out. You got to see that Dr. John challenge. And oh, mwah, a gift from the, the, the reality television gods. That's what that was. You mean uh, hip tang? Hip tang. <laughs> hip tang. Uh, yeah. I just want Dr. John to do a tour of every reality show that involves judging stuff mm -hmm. just so we can have, you know, fresh-faced, starry-eyed contestants just look in odd confusion at Doctor at the wonder of Dr. John. But I think more broadly, it was a really fun episode with a lot of good-ass-looking food. Oh. The idea of a hot sauce challenge, I think, was quite interesting. They don't usually do... You know, challenges that don't involve complete dishes, and I think they should do things like that more often because yeah. th that stuff is fascinating. At least I think so. The, the bottles were a nice touch. And, and the main challenge was great, too. I mean, the place I was just working did a lot of pig dishes, not pork, but pig. You know, pig head, pig tail, etc. So I, I looked on that with fascination and envy. <laughs> yeah, all of that food looked 
So good. And you know when when Tom and Padma and Hugh and everyone are saying, yeah, they're all really good. Every Everyone is my new favorite. That It must be damn good food. And so I'm, I'm really appreciating just how competent and skilled and apparently amazing this batch of chefs is. It seems like they've really done well in who they've been eliminating. The one exception I would say probably being our friend, the Australian, who's been destroying in Last Chance Kitchen. She got eliminated like four or five weeks ago and she's still winning there. But um, but no, it looked like it was a really amazing food. I, I think, though, we should quickly just take a minute and explain for those who didn't watch, the they, there was a hot sauce challenge, and the, the judge was the Grammy Award-winning Dr. John, who's an amazing musician. Uh, you heard some of his music leading into this section, and hopefully also a little clip. But when he was describing what he wanted out of the hot sauce, it was one of the most unintelligible things I have ever heard, heard on that show. And On any show. Yes. <laughs> and just the glee in Padma's eyes as she sort of looked over to them and said, so you got that? You got that? Yeah. Are you sure it's going to have hip tang? Yeah, make sure it has hip tang. <laughs> yeah. It was beautiful. It was great. And more more reality shows need some chaos. Yeah. And some, some inscrutability. And just like the, the beautiful thing about Dr. John is he's been around forever and he's an amazing musician and everybody knows he is. And and so therefore he can just be this very distinct and unique personality, and everybody just goes with it because he's awesome. Uh, and so watching them try to like wrap their brains around, and there were obviously some of the chefs knew who he was, but I think didn't somebody call him a pirate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they did. I mean, just watching them kind of deal with that was amazing. Let's move on to the amazing race, part like the Red Sea, and. Uh, Freaking out animals, man. Although it's it seems clear to me that the train didn't actually start moving because they were yelling about their pregnant wives, right? That was just a coincidence. Oh, my God. That was the most annoying thing. <laughs> I love how Travis is like, you don't need to lie. They're like, it's going to. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's also frustrating because I like Nicole and Travis, but they were really hard to watch this week. Yeah. Well, first of all, the, the show trying to pretend that someone looking at somebody else's completed thing is cheating is ridiculous. That's very, that's, that's what everybody does on the race. There's no rule that you, you're not supposed to look at what other people, you know, put together. It, that happens like every single week whenever they have that kind of a challenge. Oh, that sequence was so hard to watch. Yes. That being said, it was a very difficult to watch sequence because it's like what, when they said, I'm really good at music stuff. So you do this challenge. What? What? Yeah, that I couldn't get the logic there either. I mean, I get that you're in a race and you make decisions and that just happens, but I like the Tim and Marie approach of we have rules, but then sometimes we don't follow them when they don't make sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and she showed some good instincts by, like, I feel like this is going to be a music thing and you're the music guy. That was really smart. Um, I think it seems like they wanted to save, because, like, of course, the, each teammate has to do an equal number of challenges. So I think they were the idea behind it was that they wanted to save this less physical task for her so that if they get a more physical challenge, he can do it moving forward. But still, I mean, I'm, I was, you know, what did you think of Jason and Amy, especially Amy, helping them out? Oh, that was really sweet, I thought. Yeah, I already and... like them. I like them even more now. Yeah, they're sort of the, I, I feel like they're the sleeper team that you don't really notice too much, but they end up being quite strong and, and easy to root for. 
And the freaking Afghanimals need to go, man. Oh, my God. They're so obnoxious. So obnoxious. The, obnoxious. the preview for next week looks like they're going to have a bit of a hard time. So hopefully they're not overplaying that. But they probably are. They probably are. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I know one team that does not win based on casting for future seasons. Um, and and it's not the Afghanimals. That's all I'll say. Uh, and, and so I'm I'm worried. I don't want them to win. And granted, I know this is all editing. I'm sure they're actually very nice people in real life and that they're not particularly worse than the other teams. It's just – but the editing is making me hate them. No. Although I, I, sh- I should say that they also happen to be really good competitors. Yeah, they're like doing they're, well. They're, they're good at the actual challenges and you can't discount that, but they're such pricks. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Okay, so what wins your week in reality? I'll give it to Top Chef for sure. Okay. Of course, I got to give it to Top Chef too. That was fantastic. One of my favorite. I think it's one of my favorite episodes of the series. Definitely. Of the series. Of the not series. Just the not just the season. Wow. Definitely of the season. But yeah, it was pretty great. Now we'll take a break, listen to some music, and come back with our week in genre. genre we have agents of shield the well doctor who day of the doctor black mirror 15 million merits les revenants victor um and american horror story coven the dead and first at the top i'll just mention that of course our sound and sight walking dead podcast should already be out in your podcast feed that's myself and ricky talking this week with our games editor at sound and sight pat belavance and so we had a lot of fun talking about dead weight <laughs> Uh, yes, another another lovely episode with the governor, because that's what we needed at this point in the <laughs> so season. So just, just, just to be clear, I don't watch The Walking Dead, but they've just done two straight hours just with the governor and his peeps? Yes. Wow. Just following the governor, you know, because they had this really strong stretch of five episodes following the prison right. gang. Yeah, so and and like, to be clear, you're still a fan of this season, right? Overall, yes, but they're really trying to get me to turn on it. It seems like we'll see. We'll see where things are left in the mid-season finale because now the governor has a tank. Um, anyways, yeah, let's just let, let's move. They had they had Kirk Acevedo from Fringe and Enver Gilkash in this last episode of The Walking Dead. So you like them? I I like them. Acevedo's had a weird career, man. But anyway, that's a discussion for another time. Let's move on to the you know the well Agents of Shield. You wanted to talk about this one? Oh yeah. Um. Do we do we care if we have a language warning on this episode? No, but do just in not... case. Okay, well here it comes. Fuck this show, man. 
fuck this show so hard in every possible metaphorical orifice. It's so bad. I'm, you know, I thought to myself, I'll check in again this week. I have a feeling it could be a make or break thing. I'm curious to see how they handle the Thor tie-in thing. They handled it in the dumbest, most boring way I think they possibly could have. It's what eight, nine episodes in now, seven up. Ep- I don't know. Something it's like quick, that. Yes. Something like that. None of the characters are interesting. None of the situations are interesting. They've driven the Tahiti thing into the goddamn ground. The fight scenes are not interesting. What? I mean, does the show even have defenders anymore? I don't think it does. I feel like it's just clear. I mean, I, I, right before I watched the episode, I happened to read some of Mo Ryan's piece on how the show seemed irrevocably broken. She's so right. This it's got this show is nowhere interesting to go, or if it does, it hasn't signaled that it's going any of those places yet. What a mess. I was not as down on this one as you were. I think probably just because I really enjoy Peter McNichol. And so, and, and I, I know I shouldn't have been thinking Vigo, but I was every time I saw him here. Um, so, so you know, that, that really helped helped for this episode. But yeah, I do not disagree as far as the characters go. They, they At this point, you should have at least one very compelling character. And yes, there are interesting things that happen here. We get some backstory. But that being said, there's there's not enough. There's really not enough. Um, so I'm still watching. You know, I have an affinity for these characters and for this world. But in a week like this week where there's too much, you know, TV, I should not have watched that. I should have spent the time on another show. Uh, I didn't have enough time to catch up with Sleepy Hollow yet. I've seen last week's... I've seen, you know, the most recent S.H.I.E.L.D., but I have not seen the most recent Sleepy Hollow, and that really bothers me. Yeah, we could both agree Sleepy Hollow is ten times better than S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes, definitely. Easily ten times better. And I'm not even that that show's biggest fan. But, like, just for instance, who were the villains this week? What were they about? They were just some people who just like being powerful? It was the girl who was the Flash on Heroes and was really fun there. Um, And was also on uh, Alphas, Alphas, fabulous on Alphas as well, uh, and another dude. Those were the villains. And they just got some staffs, and then they got to punch people. They got, yeah, they were they were mad. Rage. Seriously. That's get all a I couple, got. Get a couple hundred riot cops in there, and those guys are taken care of. No problem. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, really that it was not it was you know the, like like you said like the fabulous Mo Ryan said uh, in her article which you guys should all go check out. Yes, there's like I don't know how the show is going to fix these problems because it doesn't seem to understand that they are problems, and that's the biggest thing. I need to see from a show like this that's in its episode eight, episode nine. I need to get a sense that they know that there's a problem and they're trying to figure it out, and I haven't gotten that sense. No, and I think. Honestly, it's all my worst fears about the show based on what I assumed were going to be the the corporate influences behind the scenes, the need to tie into other things that this show doesn't really have the budget to depict, etc., etc. All those things have just totally come true. So, yeah, um, I'm out. I'm signing out. No more <laughs> S.H.I.E.L.D. for me. Unless Michael Cheeklis shows up, I'm done. Okay, let's move on to Doctor Who, Day of the Doctor. I had so many fears about uh, the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. And I I, I really was pretty sure it was going to be terrible just because I haven't 
been particularly impressed by any of the specials, Christmas special, non-Christmas special, any special. There's only a handful of them that I think are even like solid, let alone good. Um, I ended up really, really enjoying this episode. I kind of, I want, I've been wanting to watch it a third time in the past couple of days and haven't been able to. That's from my uber Whovian perspective. How did this play to a very new viewer of the series? I think they did a good job. I mean, there there's definitely a few scenes and obviously the entire climax where I'm thinking to myself, if I gave a crap about Doctor Who, I'm sure I would care so much more about what's happening right now. Again, up the entire finale is is there clearly for longtime fans of the show who were probably crying. But the I mean, I think overall it was definitely more fun than most of the actual episodes that I've that I've seen. They do a good job balancing humor and some stakes, although I never really get a, a grave sense of danger watching Doctor Who ever because it's, you know, it's basically a family show and they stick to that and that's fine. The It's also fun to me to see Billy Piper show up because I know that for a long time, Whovians, she's like a beloved companion, if not the most beloved companion. She seems pretty damn beloved. But to me, she's still just like a former pop star, <laughs> uh, which may not be fair, but that's how it is in my brain. But yeah, yeah it, was, it was fun. It didn't need to be 75 minutes long. I, I can tell you that. But Okay. What, what, what would you cut? Um, I, I'm not sure. I just remember getting to the end of that and thinking, how did it take that long to tell that story? Maybe we got too much with the sort of ancillary characters in the, in the tower, things like that, that I didn't like. I didn't need to spend 10 minutes with Inhaler Chick. Yeah, I didn't name. need... Yeah, Osgood, I think, is the name yeah. there. Yeah, I didn't need I didn't need, didn't need that time with that character either. Um, there, there there, was some fun nods with that character. Obviously, she does the fourth Doctor Scarf thing, and um, there's some, some fun bits there. But in general, I didn't need a lot of that. What did you think of the Zygons? I will say that some of the creature effects were like when uh, the... What's her name? Boss Lady starts to transform Kate. back into it. Kate. Starts to transform back into into a Zygon. Like, some of those creature effects were unusually good practical effects for the show, which usually doesn't do these things very well, in my opinion. So that was cool. As aforementioned, I couldn't quite understand how people kept getting trapped by them when they're in Zygon form, because they do seem to move awfully slowly. But, I don't know. I had fun with it. I mean, obviously, the you can't really mess with a good bunny gag, <laughs> even though it was very obvious that's where it was headed the moment that was happening. And, you know, I have a weakness for David Tennant's hair. I think we all do. <laughs> what did you think of the doctor interaction? Uh, that was fun. Again, like, I got a strong sense watching it. There's so much of this I'm missing out on. Mind you, John Hurt making fun of their poncier affectations was deeply pleasing to me, obviously. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that. The rapport between the three of them was fabulous. This is definitely, definitely the best multiple doctor story in the show's run. That's not saying a lot. The 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 three doctors and the five doctors, uh, they're they're entertaining and they're fun, but they're very much just sort of like, hey, guess what? Gosh, you Willicker, the doctor is gonna do an adventure with the doctor. Um, the two doctors is an actual like story that has multiple doctors, and that one's that one is a little bit more sub substantial, not a lot. <laughs> Anything that you know has the the doctor turning into that gourmand alien creature is not going to be particularly substantive but it was 
a very fun, you know, sixth doctor story, sixth and second doctor story. But this one actually had a lot of, you know, psychological examination of the character and how he he came to be who he was. I really like the c compare and contrast between the 10th doctor and the 11th doctor. The the rapport between the two of them was fantastic, as was the um just sort of this examination of how the doctor went from being this more serious kind of person to, to being this ridiculous figure that he sort of has become and, and tying that in with the time war I thought worked really well. And I mean, you mentioned Billy Piper. I thought she was fantastic here. I, I'm a big fan of hers. I think she's actually a fabulous actress and uh, she did a really good job in that role. I thought this was just a smart way to bring her back rather than bringing her back as Rose to bring her back as a sort of, um, amalgamation, you know, like a representation of Rose that isn't Rose. I thought made a lot more sense. And, and especially having her work off of John Hurt rather than David Tennant, I thought was a really smart move. I also like that, you know, Clara's role in this story, I think it's really important if you're going to have a companion show up in a, like, a, especially a multiple doctor story, there should be a reason that it needs to be that companion. And this needed to be Clara, because if it had been River, River would have said push the button. If it had been Amy, Amy would have said push the button. If it had been Martha, especially the more militaristic Martha at the end of her, her run with the Doctor, she would have said push the button. She was about to do her own version of that in, in Journey's End. So it needed to be Clara, and I think that's really that's good writing. Um, Clara, I don't feel like still really has any character traits, and that's a bit of an issue for me. I couldn't describe her if I had to, other than very you know beautiful and um just sickeningly sweet but um but i did have so much fun with this story and i was very very glad to to actually actively like it i do have to say i hated 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 what they gave the last lines that they gave to the 10th doctor let's take his most one of his most memorable lines in his entire run and let's like mock it. Let's do that. The really emotional, significant moment from the tenth Doctor's run. Let's just like, huh? See what we did there? It's a joke. Fuck you. No. <laughs> I was really upset by that. Um. Um. And I also, uh, I also got to have to mention the fourth Doctor showing up at the end. But it's not the fourth Doctor. Is it a future Doctor? Maybe we don't really know who he is. Um, that, that really worked for me and it was just wonderful to see Tom Baker back, you know, he, he, that, that, that's the fourth doctor, you know? And so to have that, that, that sort of that presence there without it actually being the doctor was really, really effective for me. Did, is that what you meant by the, the finale? Oh, I was more referring to the whole 12, actually 13 doctor showdown thing. Oh, okay. But, uh, I, I was happy to get you know a seventh of a second of peter capaldi's eyebrows that was yeah, a nice touch that was nice how did that whole curator conversation at the end work for you was that just sort of like a i'm sure this means more to other people moment yeah pretty much i was like oh there's tom baker if i was a fan this would probably be a big deal <laughs> fair enough any lingering questions are you looking forward to the christmas special anymore than you had been i'm just mostly hoping that when peter capaldi does do the transformation and show up they need to at least film, I don't know, six hours of Malcolm Tucker outtakes. They just need to do that. I know it's a family show and they can't do that really, but come on. Apparently we're going to get some explanation of why Peter Capaldi has now played three different people within the same Doctor Who universe. Because, of course, he's also amazing on uh, Children of Earth. 
on Torchwood, and he shows up in for one story uh, with the with the tenth Doctor as well. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to an, a fresh start with the new Doctor and with a Doctor who doesn't have the burden of the Time War on him in the same way. I, I I'll say though, I do, I don't look forward to them explaining that. I just wish I wish they didn't feel the need to explain every little thing. Just okay. like. It's an actor we like, all right? Just deal with it. Yeah, that's that. that I would be fine with that as well. Um, but anyways, let's let's move on to our next show because this is not the Sound Outside Doctor Who podcast. They will be putting up their own uh, episode, diving whole hog into the day of the Doctor. It should be going up, I would imagine, in the near future. Um, but let's move on to Black Mirror, fifteen million merits. I was really impressed by Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, and uh, Jessica Brown Finley, but especially Daniel Kaluuya, whose name I'm sure I probably just butchered uh, in this episode of Black Mirror. Definitely the stronger of the two former Fades stars, actors this week. Oh, you mean between him and Guy on S.H.I.E.L.D.? Ian DeCastaker? God, that guy is so wasted on S.H.I.E.L.D. So wasted. Anyway, the... I uh, I preferred the first episode of Black Mirror, to be honest. This 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 one, I think... I was really, really impressed with some aspects of the world building and with the production values in general. This was beautiful to watch. And like I think visually, the execution of all the little details, especially the horrible, horrible quasi-reality programming and things like that were just, you know, they were hard to watch and they were supposed to be. And that all made sense. There were just certain aspects of this episode that kind of brought it down for me when it really should have been a home run. And it should have been an easy home run. Because there's so much about it that's so that I think could have been so effective. I think one huge issue for me is the characterization of the Jessica Brown Finley character, whose name escapes me right now, Annie or Abby. Abby, there you go. Uh, the Abby character, <sighs> like having her be so overtly sweet and virginal, and sort of almost almost character free in her innocence. I think cheapens what happens at the end of the episode. So, and and it, it makes it too easy uh, for, or not too easy. It's, it's too, too narratively schematic and too transparent for me, which is really too bad. Cause I think so much of the rest of the execution is so good, including Kaluuya's performance. And I, I do think that the, the final note with his, the final notes with his character make perfect sense for that universe. I would have liked to have, as much as I appreciate the sort of holding back, I would have liked to have known a little bit more about how life on the outside worked. Uh, but for the most part, I was happy to leave that to my imagination. I don't know. Did you have the same problem as me? I mean, I see what you're, where you're coming from, and I don't, I don't disagree, which apparently is my new saying. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I did not have as much overall issue with it. That didn't distract too much from my enjoyment of the, of the episode, though. I got a lot out of it. I thought it was really well done. And, um, I mean, yes, it's very, it feels very tropey. And the characters, very, um, Daniel kind of feels like a character, but the rest don't. They feel like archetypes. And yeah. I'm sort of okay with that in a Twilight Zone-y sort of, you know, show. That doesn't bother me like it would if this were a continuing narrative. I don't know if I need to see, you know, a a show about this but in one hour that 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 worked for me okay i thought the uh the reality show was a bit too much uh just the judges you know all of that was 
it was a bit too on the nose for me. I would have liked a, a little softer hand there. I w I'm wondering if that is just a difference between the the British and the American like response to the, those kind of reality shows. Cause of course we have those reality shows, but um, like pop American Idol came from pop idol and some of these other shows that, you know, the big hits that we have in reality competition in the U S for the most part, all started in, in Europe. And you know, a lot of them started in, in the UK. So um, there's, there's a little, you know, we, I feel like it's sort of diluted by the time you get to the U S versions. And right, so, yeah. so that might be more of a, more effective. And there's, there's a doctor who story actually that, that deals with reality shows in a similar kind of way that also had that same thing where it felt like it was a little over the top. And I'm just wondering if that's a, just a, you know, across the Atlantic kind of disconnect. Right. Well, and I think this episode shares with the national anthem, that same sense of 40 something disdain for youth culture mm -hmm. <laughs> or, you know, or pop culture in general that again, some of it is valid and then some of it is just pushed to that resentful degree that you think maybe, maybe there are other things you could focus your ire on that are maybe more deserving. So I think, I feel like that's the show's Achilles heel. I, I am very curious to see this, the third episode, which I, as I understand has been optioned for a film adaptation, which feels kind of redundant because these episodes are already a full hour, if not slightly longer than that. So they don't need much expansion to feature length. But, you know, money. So, eh. <laughs> Shall we move on to Le Revenant? Yeah, let's do that. We got our, we finally got the Victor or Victor episode we were hoping for. He's still really creepy is my, is my big takeaway from that. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, any predictions on that? So is he, did he like psychically control the lady into stabbing herself or did he stab her or, you know, what? What's going on with all that? And and we also saw the dead guy. Uh, what's his name? Um, Adele's fiance, Simon. 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 He like turned into the other fiance right in the camera briefly, or was that supposed to be the other fiance's just like mentally like projecting that? Oh, who knows? You know, there's a lot of weird stuff going down. Yeah, and my my big fear with Le Ravena is that at some point, in the, maybe in the last episode of this season or maybe in future seasons, they're going to start explaining stuff, which I think would be a big mistake. I feel like I'm much happier with the show just being moody and mysterious and throwing weird shit at us and seeing what that brings out of the world and the characters and just leaving it there. I mean, we'll we'll see where things are going with the dam and stuff like that and the water supply. But I, I don't know about you, but I'm quite, especially after the fiascos that have happened on so many other shows, I'm kind of over explaining stuff. Yes, to a point, though. Otherwise, you need to stop, in, you know, introducing weird shit. You know, I'll, there's a certain number of weird things that I will be happy to take with no explanation. And then after a while, it's like, no, if you're going to keep introducing this weird stuff, I need you to start, you know, putting, packing some of it away so that we can focus on the new stuff. Okay, that's fair. So I don't need to know about Lena's back, but if you're going to have Lena's back and Victor and the stabbing and the dam and this Simon camera thing, you know, that's four. I can handle like two or three. I'm not going to handle four. Yeah, and can we just say, can we get this out of the way? This this would bother me so much more if it were any other show, mm -hmm. because this has so much going on. But, man, Jerome, put a camera in the fucking underpass. You've got them <sighs> everywhere already. 
put seriously how many people have died in that underpass yeah it seems really really strange also i gotta say the one thing about the show the single thing about the show that i do not like is the whole psychic twins thing that i i that's the bridge too far for me i could take you know randomly cut open back i can take maybe weird creepy kid i can take all that other stuff i'm not gonna take they're twins so they can feel what the other one is feeling that's not how it works and that's stupid unless there's <laughs> going to be some sort of magical you know bizarro mystical explanation for that which there isn't because it happened before everybody started coming back from the dead then i just did no well we don't know that there isn't but anyway well We'll see where it goes. I I love that out of all the stuff on the show, that's that's the bridge. That's, Resurrection's cool. Yep. Crazy evil kids are cool. Yep. Et cetera, et cetera. But no, no, no twinning. No twinning. Anyway, clearly, we're enjoying Le Havanado. Yes, yes. This is the first episode where I was like, I want to watch the next episode immediately. Uh, so they they've clearly they I'm I'm, I'm hooked. I'm hooked. Let's move on to our final weekend genre series, which is. American Horror Story, Coven, The Dead. I am really starting to love this season. I feel like it's finally cooking and doing everything that I would sort of want it to do. I would be curious, though, I feel like we're sort of starting to get what you were worried about with the Delphine character, but it's not bothering me as much as I was expecting it to, if only because I think they're doing something really fascinating with the notion of speculative fiction and sort of throwing out there, what if you could remove someone from their context? And they're saying, well, maybe if you could, then that would help them to understand the depth of their own monstrosity. And maybe that's, I mean, you could argue that that's an offensive suggestion, but I think for me, it's provocative enough that I'm willing to go with it and see where they're headed with it. And I think they're doing it in a way that doesn't, that consistently does not let us forget what she's done. I mean, to the point where they actually show us something worse every week. Yeah, well, and and the other thing is with this, when when she's saying it, she's a woman of her time. She's you know also, we have to consider the source. Of course, that's what she's gonna say. And earlier this season, we got the "I'm a woman of my time" bullshit. Yes, exactly. You know, so so just because she thinks you know she she feels like a sociopath to me. She seems she seems like a psycho, uh, psychopath, uh, such that she. Of course, it's not a big deal that she did all these. In, evil evil things she just wants a friend and i believe she would do it again yeah i believe she would turn around and do the exact same thing again and i think they've done a good job of representing that so just because she she you know psychos get get lonely too basically <laughs> yeah yeah they've, they've done an excellent job with that but i i just i'm i'm really enjoying all the race class gender just mind fuckery of the whole thing and just there's there's just so much about it that's awkward and sort of jutting out in different directions. And I have no idea what they're trying to say with any of it. And that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hopefully it'll come together to some sort of a cohesive idea by the end. But for now, I'm really enjoying the ride. Yeah. And I, I, I'm I'm surprisingly invested also in the Danny Houston Mm -hmm. and jessica lang scenes i thought i thought that would just be a silly detour but i think they they managed to do something interesting with that well and then they have another psycho right there yep another male yep. psycho who yep has feelings apparently um so what wins your week in genre oh it's tough uh oh, give it to american horror story okay thinly I mean over late 
Okay, okay. And uh, I, yeah, I'm definitely giving it to Doctor Who. No question. I would have spotlit Doctor Who, but I know that's not your thing. So Nope. Yep. So that, let's take a break and listen to some music and come back with our week in drama. Oh, drama we have parenthood election day boardwalk empire farewell daddy blues which is of course the season finale masters of sex involuntary and the good wife whack-a-mole let's start uh with parenthood so christina is not the mayor you are not the mayor the i that that was honestly the outcome i was predicting if only because i feel like having her be mayor would just introduce too many other complications and just on a show that really doesn't need more complications. It's got enough characters and enough situations to deal with as it is, but I thought it was well handled. Interesting slash distracting choice of closing tune by Josh Ritter, but that's a discussion for some other podcast. The, uh, the stuff with Joel was, I'm still not decided on that whole thing, to be honest. Uh, they need to do something with those characters rather than just have them repeat the same argument every week. So I don't know if that's, that's we're looking at like a trial separation or something like that. But uh, I I don't know. I, I, I agree with you from what, what with what you said last week in the sense that they haven't done a good job equally depicting them. So sometimes some of what Joel was saying actually seemed quite valid, but I don't think we were supposed to think so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Some of what he was saying was was very felt very true, but it came um it came out of nowhere and it came out of him being wrong. So he he would be wrong in what he was doing and then say something that was true, but because he had just you know said it in a dickish way or been you know had it surrounded by ways in which he is wrong, it really stung took some of the sting out and so the power of that argument. Yeah, and I guess we I guess we don't get to have much more Matt Loria on the show, huh? Well, I don't know. I, I think he's going to be on the show. Yeah, I think. Really? I don't know. He's been he's been on guest star status all all season. Do you think you think this is it? I think it's going to be almost it. I think he's only got a week or two left. I I I could I've been very frequently wrong before, but I can't see them keeping him around after he keeps messing up the same way. Okay, he's messed up the same way twice now. Right, after saying consistently that yeah. it wasn't going to happen, which is kind oh, of a okay. bigger deal. Okay. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I'm I 
I beg to differ on that one. I would be surprised if they got rid of him right away. Um, All right. Yeah. But, but, you know, we'll see what happens. We we got to mention, though, Max and, and Ruby and Hank and all of that. I loved, uh, I love Sarah's. That's the worst parenting ever. <laughs> Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, that was one of the few times she's been right this season. Like, unabashedly, completely right. So that was nice to see. And I don't know. I just... Can we, but man, those characters need to stop beating around the bush. They need to stop doing that thing with her and the her yes. tenant. That stuff is all awful and clearly a time waster and a distraction. Yes, I absolutely agree. Any other thoughts on Parenthood or shall we move on? No, that's our last episode this year, right? I believe so. It, you know, there's there aren't any more listed as happening this year, so I think it's about to go. I think it's going on hiatus, and we'll see where they go next. I'm re- right. I really have no idea where many of these storylines are going to go next. Yeah, a couple of them we got a pretty good sense. But yeah, it's just a matter of, I think we know where a lot of them are ultimately going, but it's a matter of pace. Mm-hmm. Yes, we'll see. Next up is the Boardwalk Empire finale, Farewell Daddy Blues. And speaking of pace, this, okay, so this was the finale, and this was mostly completely unsatisfying to me. I'm kind of feeling like, why did I watch Boardwalk Empire this season? And write about it, let's not forget. And write about it. Yes, my review should be up again once I'm no longer hopped up on cold meds. Right. The uh, There were some aspects of the finale that worked really well. I actually think as filmmaking, the whole sniper sequence with with Harrow was really, really effective. And they managed to get a, a shock out of me, which doesn't happen on this show very often. So good for them. The whole ending with Harrow, I think, would have been a lot more effective had they spent more time with him doing more things this season but i i do think again like as film the, the you know the quality of the filmmaking on the show is always really really great and those brief sort of fantasy death dream sequences we got were really affecting could have been a lot more affecting but i have to give them props for what they did uh, but you know they're keeping jillian on the show and they're keeping so many characters around they don't need to keep around and they just kind of leave things hang like are they going to keep Narcisse around? Is that story over? We don't know. The show doesn't seem to want to tell us or they haven't decided. Just, yeah, a lot of just open threads left hanging for no good reason. Then the whole, you know, I'm going to move with Sally and then we get a shot of Sally standing around. <laughs> That's our resolution, really? Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. Yeah, this, this there, there are moments like, well, first of all, like you said, it looks beautiful. It looks gorgeous. And uh, the performances are excellent. Gretchen Maul has been a real uh, revelation for me this season. I've really enjoyed getting to watch her in because I haven't really seen much of her work before. So it was wonderful getting to see that performance. However, what was the point of of spending that much time with her all season? Other than I got to get to know Gretchen Maul as a performer. That's great. But when you look at what seems to be the most important moments of what they really wanted to get to. Who, If you're going to list who your main characters are, who the focus of the show is, almost no one's going to say Jillian. They're going to say Nucky. They're going to say Chalky. They're going to say Van Alden, maybe just because he's such a, uh, you know, a fan favorite. Same thing with Harrow. No one's going to say Jillian. If you take all, you know, even just some of that time and you give it to other characters, then a lot of this last episode becomes significantly more effective. They completely misused uh, their time with Harrow. 
for much of this season, I because his death was not affecting to me at all. I liked the I really liked the performance. I the character is really interesting. He had a really strong episode, but I wasn't I didn't really care that he was dead in the finale, and that's a mistake. My main thought when this ended was, well, Jack Houston's going to get to do more interesting stuff with his life. Yeah, and that's a problem. I didn't care that Chalky was, you know, basically replacing his friend in his friend's like country home. Was I supposed to care? Yeah, you were definitely supposed to care. The yeah, I mean, I I I think it was um, Matt Zoller Seitz or some other critic who said that they liked this season particularly for its focus on disappointment and and loss. And I get that. I I do like that the the season has a definitive mood and has you know clearly had a thesis. So in that sense, it was good. I but beyond like that's a very <laughs> that's a very slim reason for me to love something. That's not enough. I need more to hang my head on than that. So it's it's good at a couple of things, but it should be great at everything based on the pedigree. And it just it just isn't. It just isn't. Yeah. And the last thing I'll mention is. Knox was very a strong addition to the series, I thought, because just his interest in nationwide cr- criminal organizations made everything going on in Chicago feel more connected to what was happening in Atlantic City. And so killing him off in the finale, while effective, and that was a good scene for Eli, and it was you know, a good fight and everything, and it gives, it gives Eli a reason to be out of town, I guess, but... It's it, again. It makes me feel like, why did I spend that time in Chicago? Well, but by out of town, you mean quote out of town, right? Uh, yeah, no, I agree. That wasn't necessarily the smartest play. We'll see what happens. I guess I don't. I, I don't really feel like tuning in next season. I don't care, and that's a problem. Not really. But then they're going to an, an, announce like a whole bunch of great casting. You're like, oh, I'll, I want to see them strut their stuff, and I'll be like, ah, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I'm underwhelmed. And maybe watching but not reviewing would make a big difference. It might. But anyways, let's let's move on to our next series, which is, of course, Masters of Sex, Involuntary. Oh, Masters of Sex. So much about you is so great. And then other things are so frustrating. So let's, because it's our pet peeve, I think we should just get it out of the way. It doesn't seem like things are heading in an encouraging direction with Ethan. Again, hoping for some big fake out. And we don't really know... We haven't seen them end a season before, so we don't really know what that looks like, but uh, is my major reaction to that. Yeah, not surprised. Really, I, like, a, like, like we said a couple weeks ago, I don't think they think that Ethan is a problem, and therefore that's why I, I'm not hopeful that they will address that. Yeah, that's, that's really unfortunate, but we've said it, so let's get move that out on, of the way on. And, and move on. Uh, a lot of good stuff in this episode and some slightly frustrating stuff as well. I feel like the focus has really shifted in William's favor as opposed to Virginia, whereas it mm-hmm. used to be a little bit more even. And I think that's a little bit of a problem. And that gets illustrated in, in sort of more subtle and more glaring ways. But for instance, it's been, what, three episodes now since we've seen her kids? Yeah. And I have no idea how she's raising them right now, considering she seems to spend all her time at work or studying. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of a problem. I didn't miss Alice and Janney or the Scullies in general this week, which I feel like is actually a good thing because that means that there's enough other characters that I care about that they can flit between storylines and things work. But it just feels like they've they've bitten off a little more than they can chew with all these characters to me. 
I don't know. Is that just me? I mean, uh, I, I I see where you're coming from, but I actually think it's good that they took. I, I thought it was really good that they took the week off of the Scullies because that lets you know that lets that storyline continue in the background while you know we think about other things and it. You know, she has it as more of a continuing underlying threat as opposed to a main thrust of of the uh, the the show. It, it can just be part of the world, and I really appreciate actually that approach. Um, so, so I don't think they have too many interesting characters. I actually think they they're they're doing it pretty well, um, aside from our Ethan issues. But um, yeah, I was really glad to see, for example, the uh, the 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 youngest Scully. Um, and Vivian had her engagement being called off this week was, it was like about, it was about time that needed to, that needed to end. It happened one episode ago. Yes. But the, they're so clearly so horribly suited, you know, that that, there was, I was glad that we got that out of the way instead of having this be a long drawn out situation, you know, where Vivian ends up even more crushed or they're, they're married and they have a kid and that's when they decide maybe this was a bad idea. So rather, you know, the earlier, the better as far as I'm concerned with that. And uh, as for the other characters, you know, I think they, they've done a really good job with Jane, the secretary and, and adding in this, this whole notion of um, like, what is the bridge too far for, for, for them? What is the, the level of participation that is, that you know that is positive and when does it start to feel really dirty i think adding that that element in here with first jane and then transitioning that uh, tying that in with virginia works really really well and it's very effective it also adds in you know other relationships of um of gender and and sexual politics in there as well because it's not a man that they're filming masturbate who doesn't want to take the money it's a woman that's very distinct. That's very clear. And and the the I, I don't feel like the show would have men worried about feeling like whores, just the women. Uh, that feels very you know authentic to the the time period period and everything. And so, I you know adding in that level of development and gender politics, I think makes a lot of sense and goes a long way towards focus helping focus on the characters that they're choosing to focus on right now. Yeah, I mean it's not just that. Jane is worried about feeling like a prostitute, although that that's really more Virginia's issue. I mean, I think that her speech is really interesting when she's talking, when she sees the footage, and that's that's what crosses the line for her, even though you don't see her face. To her, it's sort of it's doesn't seem to be that she's worried about feeling or seeming whorish. What she's worried about is losing the interiority of the act. And sort of, it, you know, sex be moving from an inside act to an outside act. And it's almost as though the act of people viewing her do that steals her own enjoyment. It's you know, sort of a, a spoiler, which that was a, a more a, a more nuanced idea than I was expecting to get out of this episode. So that's always a good thing. And it's it's things like this that I can't imagine any other show even trying to tackle. And that's mm-hmm. the stuff that I really value about Masters of Sex. But then there'll be other moments that are just clunky, like... Even in the middle of a good scene, for instance, Libby and her speech to William about how they've both done things and they just need to accept it and move on, which was like the anti-soapy thing to do, which was great. I loved that. But then the scene just keeps going and she ends with that clunky metaphor about how they're his echo. And I was like, ah, I didn't really like that line. So th- again, like some beats and will be great and some not so great, even in the same scene. Yeah, the... <sighs> I, I wish that she would have specifically said, 
you know, how she got pregnant if we're supposed to think that it was just the capping and she didn't sleep with someone else. Because it feels like right now, I feel like I'm supposed to be assuming that she slept with some, another man. And that's certainly what, what uh, Masters is thinking. And so if that's not what we're supposed to be thinking, if it is just supposed to be magic sperm, the thought out, you know, uh, stuff that with, with the whole capping procedure, then I really needed them to t tell us that. Is that just me? Um, I didn't really have that problem, but I mean, I think to William, it's kind of the same. So to us, like, you know, it's not him. He knows that. Like, that is clear. It's not his sperm. It wasn't his, you know... But they were saying uh, the show. The show said earlier that there was more of Master's sperm that had been frozen that they were going to use to continue the treatments. Right, but it was clear from this scene that that's not what they used. Okay. At least to me. Like, okay. If, See, if like that didn't been, occur to me. Right, because it's so either she used someone else's sperm, or you know, it's yeah. you know, either through a capping procedure or through banging. We really don't know, and it's really not. I don't think to William it makes a difference which it is. Okay, so that hadn't even occurred to me that she just had a different sper sperm donor. That, there you go. You know, because his sperm count is is astronomically low, so yeah. it wouldn't make sense to keep trying to. That would just be an incredibly tedious process. Yeah, but but if that was the case, we never saw them discuss that on the show. That never came up. That seems like that should have been a significant decision for her. Why didn't we see it? I feel like we saw that. Like, we didn't see them discuss the particulars, but we knew enough about William's medical history and the fact that she got pregnant once and it was already essentially miraculous mm -hmm. that we knew it wasn't in the cards to happen again the same way. Well, and that's why I was confused why they were just doing the same thing again. And I was waiting right. for her to be cheating on him with or to, to actually sleep with um, Ethan. That's what I was assuming was going to happen, and it didn't, and I was glad it didn't. Um, right. But... We we may get clarification on this next week. It seems like we probably will, but I'm just assuming that it's a different sperm donor, Ethan or someone else. Okay. Well, well, well clearly there's some confusion here because uh, apparently I'm the slowest viewer in Slowerton. Um, That's all right. You were spending all your mental energy on Doctor Who. It's clearly. understandable. Clearly. It's a beautiful thing. Um, any other thoughts on Masters of Sex or shall we move on to The Good Wife? Nope. Still enjoying it, but it's... It's just not quite one of the greats yet. I I feel like it could make that step maybe next season, but I don't think it's going to happen this season. Yeah, I think if it was going to, it would have by now. So we'll see. We'll see. But I, like like you said, we're both really enjoying this show. Let's move on to The Good Wife. And uh, I still I just have to start out this week. You know, Whack-A-Mole is the name of the episode. I got to start this out. I'm still loving the scoring on this show so much. The consistent broke score it's like this especially this season because they've always played with different scoring in the past but this is the season where they've really connected in with the idea of this is a baroque melodrama and... they've really gone for baroque oh um yeah and i've just i love the music every single week i just i had to mention it again this week it was beautiful and lovely and what other show especially on network you know not on pbs masterpiece theater or whatever but what other show on network television is going to have consistent baroque scoring oh it's beautiful there are none there are none um i had mixed feelings about this episode it was i mean the strain of show that they're in right now is never not going to be fun and quippy and quick and enjoyable but 
I'm not sure how I feel about the addition of Jason O'Mara. I feel like he's he's very fun to watch, and the character is fun, and he's clearly having a blast, etc. But he's got not a permanent fixture written all over his face, which I don't know if that's something they really need right now. He's got Scott Porter 2.0 written all across oh, his face. Oh, that's mean. He's way more fun than Scott Porter was. Yes, but it's the same character. It's the same character if he were a lawyer. And Scottish, yes. Or fake Scottish. Yes, yeah. Obviously, he has, you know, the the, the, the accent and everything. Um, I was thinking uh, Irish, not Scottish, but I don't know my accents very well, so I'm, I'm going to defer to you on that one, actually. Well, I, you're probably right, and I'm just dumb but anyway we've got <laughs> and, dumb ears any, anyways but uh you know having a foe for kalinda is interesting i guess but we have, i have zero sense that he's gonna win in a showdown between her and from him and kalinda if she, if he wins this gets really uh boring really easily well the nice thing about this kalinda foe is that i have absolutely no inkling that she has any romantic or sexual interest in him whatsoever mm-hmm. that's great news <laughs> Yes, that's fun. So it's more of a battle of wits, and I did like his whole stunt stealing all their their uh, their office furniture. Oh my god, that was so juvenile. <laughs> well, and I loved, but, but the, I liked that even Alicia was just like, "Oh come on!" Even for her, yeah. even at her level of pettiness, this is really dumb and childish. And Will just denying involvement was just. Well, oh. I, did, I don't even know if Will knows about it, uh, and but I'm sure he would. Uh, he couldn't condone it, but once it's done, because of the incredibly childish place he's at right now, he he was uh, seemed like he was incredibly down with with all of that that entire, you know, spirit of of, of attack. I, I loved the line from Diane. Just because he's wrong for us doesn't mean that he's right for us. Yeah, I love how if if you, if you read it if you read that that line in the script, you'd think what. But the actual delivery and context made it make perfect sense. The whole Scabbit slash Glubicon Reddit thing was not one of the show's most graceful attempts at ripped from the headlines. Let's just be honest. Yeah, and I was I, – I, this has to be like a two-part episode, right? I need us to come back to that case because they introduced all the stuff with the FBI and then they never touch on it again. I didn't feel the need – I don't feel the need to revisit this case but I am highly mystified by the last scene. Very mystified indeed. Yes. Yes. I'm very curious about that. I mean, really glad to have Jeffrey Tambor back. He was a lot of fun this week, and I'm sure he'll be a lot of fun next week. But this this whole, this whole case started because, not because of, you know, I'm being defamed on Scabbit, but because I've lost my job, I'm being investigated for terrorism by the FBI. This is really significant stuff. And instead, it's like, pay no attention to that terrorism plot. Instead, look at Scabbit. You know, it's... Yeah. They keep doing this, though. They keep having these cases that it seems like we could follow for three or four weeks and then dropping them completely, so... Yeah. I mean, I guess that that is a very honest thing to do. Uh, trials take a long time long time and uh any any you know legal case or proceeding like that is going to take a you know it makes more sense to drop in here and there as time progresses that that's how cases work as we discussed in our fabulous uh informed opinion segment with our lawyer buddy lewis um but that being said i just like i it really felt like a distraction this week as opposed to, you know, I, I didn't care about the Scabbit thing. Yes, it was entertaining and all of that. But I, I kept wanting to get back to, no, help this guy out. He's being, you know, his life is being destroyed here. And all you're doing is squabbling over an internet thread. 
Yeah. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I think out of the re- out of the post breakdown run of the show, which is a very clearly defined era, this was probably the weakest episode, but it's still a good wife and it's still super fun. Oh, and I should say that was one of the better Jackie Florick plot lines we've gotten. I think. Okay, that was fun. Though I I would like to see more Peter. I've been missing him on the show. And yes, Eli and Jackie. I our reviewer Jordan called it. I think it was the Jackie Florick and. Eli Gold Comedy Variety Hour or something like that. That's always fun, yes. But I would like to see more Peter. Yeah, I agree. So what wins your week in drama? I will give it to... Huh. I don't know. Nothing really Nothing really wowed me this week. So uh, out of, out of uh, writer's, uh, writer's devotion, I'll give it to Masters of Sex. I'm going to give it to The Good Wife this week. It may not be their best episode, but it was still a lot of fun. I still really enjoyed it. That wraps up our week in TV. A few show notes here before we go to our DVD shelf with Japayans and Gupta to talk about Ben and Kate. Our outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. You can find a post up at soundonsite.org for this podcast. You can leave us comments there. Let us know what you think about this week's TV. Let us know. uh, We ask a question to the audience in our DVD shelf. You can let us know your answer there. You can also let us know on Facebook. I have been... Somewhat on the hiatus from Facebook, but hopefully the start of December and the wrap-up of Doctor Who month, I will have a little bit more time, and so I should be back to posting there. Of course, if you want to get in touch with us, that's a fabulous way to get in touch with us. You can like us on Facebook and and, and uh, leave us a comment there. You can also email us, theteleverse at gmail.com, and we're both up on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and you are? I am at Sucker Howell. And then, of course, we're also up in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We would love any feedback you could give us there. Our rating review would be great. It does help other people find the show. So it would be very much appreciated. Maybe at some point we'll actually get uh, I, 50 seems like too high of a goal, but we're sitting at like 26 uh, ratings, I think. And uh, we've been doing this for a while. It'd be nice to think that we could get up to, you know, a prettier number than that. But we still do appreciate all the feedback we've already gotten from you guys and all the ratings and reviews. Just, you know, if you haven't yet, maybe see what you can do. Pretty please. Anyways, uh, that uh, takes us to our question of the week. Simon. Well, in the spirit of our Ben and Kate shelf, I was wondering what shows of the last, let's say, decade that didn't go on long enough can you just not believe or rationalize why they didn't get a wider following okay like ben and kate for instance like ben and kate um hmm because this is the thing nothing is really coming to mind because a show like bunheads i absolutely adored and loved and really wish it had come back but i know why it didn't i i don't have any you know question in my mind why people weren't like i'll watch a show about teenage ballerinas <laughs> you know they should have because it was great, but I know why they didn't watch. Uh, so that's a good question. Let us know what you think. Do you have, does anything come to mind for you, sir? Well, I mean, the, the question was inspired by Ben and Kate, so there's my answer. Oh, I should have done that. That was smart. Okay, well, that uh, wraps up our show notes. So we'll take a quick break here, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Depayan and Gupta from Sound on Sight to talk about Ben and Kate. Hey, Mom, good morning. What are we doing today? Mm-mm. Yes, seriously, what are we doing today? Ben, no. What time is it? It's 5.010. It's 5.010. You have to go back to sleep. I can't. I'm too excited. How long are you in town for? I need to calibrate my expectations. No, I'm just in town for the weekend. 
Okay, that's all right. It's better that I know now. What's with this George guy? Don't even get me started on George. I high-fived him. I did not like it. Hello, Catherine. Mm, you look beautiful today. Has he told you why he's really here? Seriously, Ben, why are you here? It's always something. What is it? Why do you keep asking me that? Sorry, I'm late. Hey, BJ. BJ. Hello, Ben. Look at you. Oh, I stink. When did you get here? Apparently not soon enough. Why didn't you tell me about this? Ben. Oh, oh I know. It's stop. such a... What? It's my fanny pack. You look like a Korean lady golfer. I like the fanny pack. Yeah, see? Tommy gets it. I love that fanny pack. Well, weird. I get that. Do you know what fanny means in my country? Do you know what BJ means in my country? Very well indeed. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we're talking Ben and Kate, one of our favorite new shows last year. Very short-lived and uh, gone, but not forgotten, at least by us. Here to help us discuss the show is uh, Sound on Sight's very own Dipayan Sengupta. Dipayan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. So what made you want to talk about Ben and Kate? What is it about this show? Well, it feels like the kind of show that never really got the recognition it deserved. It it started off really strong from the pilot and only got better from there, but it seemed to be only a critical hit as opposed to a commercial one. In, a, in an ideal world, we'd have a Parks and Rec, Ben and Kate, uh, you know, full hour to just help uplift our spirits at the end of the week. But I thought it was really well done, strongly written, um, well acted, and it was just, you know, I was really excited to see where it would go in the ensuing seasons that never happened. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, it, it, it's, I got to say, it was particularly wonderful to watch the Oscars last year and watch Nat Faxon win an Oscar for co-writing The Descendants and uh, then, you know, watch the show get canceled. Hey, at least he's respected in one part of the industry. I thought it was bizarre that they didn't promote the Oscar thing. Like, even even as a joke, it would have been a good marketing hook. Yeah, they didn't at all. It, it was very strange. Now, obviously, anyone who's been listening to the Televerse for a while knows that Simon and I were big fans of Ben and Kate. But Simon, obviously, you've seen all the episodes that aired in the U.S. There are a few episodes that aired in the U.K. that have not yet aired here, or uh, I assume will be a special bonus feature when the DVDs presumably do come out at some point. Uh, Simon... Now, you know, six months later, nine months later, how how do you feel about Ben and Kate and how is it holding up for you? I mean, I think that it's really too bad. I'm, when Happy Endings got the axe, there was all this talk of, was it UPN picking it back up? TBS. TBS, that's it. And that seemed to be a, a viable option. And it's to me, I think I would have actually preferred to see Ben and Kate get res- resurrected. I mean, Happy Endings didn't either, but... Ben Kate seemed like so much simpler a show to resurrect. It's got a smaller cast. It had no major expenses I can think of to begin with. The only complicated thing about it is that you've got a, a young actor in you know in a principal role, so that complicates things a little bit. But other than that, I think that that's a show that with even a little bit more time, I feel like could have so easily garnered. You know, a, a solid, at least Cougar Town-sized audience. 
Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And uh, you mentioned uh, Maggie Elizabeth Jones, who plays Maddie, the daughter. And I, I feel like let's start off with her. I, th I think that you know we talk about, especially on the San Jose Walking Dead podcast, Ricky likes to talk about the young actors on there, sometimes working, sometimes not. Maggie Elizabeth Jones was just so perfect and beautiful and wonderful as Maddie on Ben and Kate. I think I might actually be the most bummed that I'm not going to get to see her on my TV every week. Yeah, her chemistry with uh, Dakota Johnson was just fantastic. And I think the writers also knew how to utilize her in a way that, that she was mostly there for reactions as opposed to giving storylines herself. And I'm pretty sure the writers wrote that intentionally to play to her strengths. And she she really was great in that part. And when's the last time a six-year-old on TV wasn't annoying or wasn't precocious? Wow, she was actually six? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the actress, yeah, was playing a six-year-old and was six. Wow, yeah. Well, okay, now I'm even more impressed by her. But yeah, she she was actually, she was amazing. Uh, you know, the, they've got uh, Albert Tsai on Trophy Wife, who, who kind of approaches that levels of honest, uh, you know, an honest child uh, character on TV. But even then, he doesn't reach, like, the depths that, uh, you know, Maggie Elizabeth Jones did as Maddie. Well, and as long as we're talking about Ben and Kate alumni who we're not seeing on TV, why isn't Lucy Punch on everything right now? I don't Where know. Where did she go? I don't know. She's definitely, I mean, obviously, we, we love Dakota Johnson. We love Nat Faxon. I was even watching Sean Saves the World a little bit just for Echo Kellum. But Lucy Punch... I don't know when she's next going to get an opportunity, like a, a show like this. And she should, because she's amazing. But it's really hard to not, you know, to, to have people not really watching that show when she, it's like, in, in not connecting with it, when she's there being hilarious every week. Yeah, that was a real mystery to me. Like, the, the, what really mystified me about Ben and Kate not being more popular is that there was nothing difficult or eccentric or out there about its concept. And maybe actually that was what doomed it, was that the circumstances are so normal. You know, brother and sister live together, raise a kid. That's pretty much the whole show. I mean, obviously there's other... No, but but that's Modern Family has propelled itself to success using, you know, a very similar formula. So, I, right, I, but, you know, but I don't think the lack of complexity would have doomed it. No, I mean, Modern Family, you know, Modern Family has a really, really good pilot. And I think did a did a nice job i think introducing this sort of more ostentatious style of having the t the talking head segments and so many characters and finding out you know the interrelation i think even modern family is more high concept than ben and kate is and maybe that was what doomed it was that it was so well what doomed it i i think was maybe its lack of a high concept and also its lack of a will they won't they which i'm sure we discussed back when the show was on but and that was one of the things that made the show so good was that the, the central couple, as it were, were related and, you know, and not in the married sense. And that introduced all kinds of interesting dynamics here and there, but not of the sort that people apparently like their sitcoms to hand them. Well, and also, you know, we talked about this a little bit when it was on, but I, I, I also think that you, you look at Modern Family and what's the one issue that nobody on that show is dealing with? financial troubles 
having the brother moving in with the sister because he doesn't really have a job. He doesn't, you know, that he, he comes up with other things, other ways to, to get by as the show continues. But there's a, you know, a real sense that they are struggling to make ends meet. I mean, she's a waitress with a six-year-old. She obviously is, this is, you know, she has way too nice of a house for a waitress with a six-year-old. But, you know, the, that idea is still there of this is not the most, you know, this is a struggling middle class, lower middle class family. And it's that's something that apparently viewers don't want to be reminded of. They'd much rather have a series of interconnected families on Modern Family that are all doing really well financially. Inexplicably, too. Like, yes. They barely touch on their jobs. And there's no way with the kind of jobs that they have, they'd be able to afford all of that. It's, But that's another discussion altogether. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and when you say the the lack of will, they won't. They one of the things I think the show does really well is focus on on that that sibling relationship rather than develop some like extended, you know, BJ and Ben relationship. They had the Tommy thing with Kate, but I thought they also handled that really well by not having that become some sort of like anchor pulling down the show. Um, another thing we discussed about you know with this the show in the past was just the fact that everybody likes each other. Which also seems like a bit of a rarity. Define any thoughts on that? Well, uh, you know, just to sort of touch back on Tommy and Kate thing, uh, I think the best the best aspect of that relationship was that they used that relationship to further Kate's uh, character development, as opposed to making Tommy out to be some sort of lovesick hero pining away after Kate until she just realizes that it falls in his arms. And but yeah, you're right. Every everyone just sort of liked everyone, even. Even when it came down to uh, Rob Corddry's character, uh, Randy, I think it was, even he was not such a bad, you know, even he didn't turn out to be so bad. He was likable. Even after Will and Kate broke, Will didn't turn out to be that much of a douchebag. He was just, he had understandable problems. Everyone seemed relatable in a way that, yeah, no, I could see hanging out with these people. And I can understand why these people choose to hang out with each other as opposed to uh, bitterness all around. Yeah. Oh, it was it was a uh, buddy. I think is Rob. Yes. Rob. Rob's buddy, character. Yes. Rob Corddry's character. I want to say Randy is. Was that his character on Happy Endings? I don't know. He's been everywhere the last couple of years. I, I got confused with their dad, Randy Fox. Oh yes, yes, with the dad, and and that's one of the things I think we should you know mention. They've had a lot of really fun guest characters you know pop up even just in one season so you had bruce mcgill as their dad who really filled in some gaps and made their relationship make a lot more sense and then you had uh, of course we already mentioned rob cordry but britney snow was really nice to see her pop up as tommy's girlfriend for a while there and then of course jane seymour as bj's mom who were were there any other standouts for you guys uh, jane seymour was definitely my favorite if only because it gave i mean anytime they give lucy punch a lot to do it's going to be a good, fun episode. And that, that was, I think, one of the absolute highlights. I, I was quite fond of Alan Rock as this principal as well. Even though he didn't quite do much in that episode, I still, you know, I, he's got Spin City goodwill for me. So whenever he pops <laughs> up, I'm like, yeah, Alan Rock. Alan Rock keeps getting these 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 tiny bit parts, and they're so not enough. That's true. We, we, we need a starting bagel with him. One with him and Lucy Punch. Let's see if we can make that happen. Oh, my God, that would be amazing. FX, make it happen. <laughs> Let's give them a call. They've got three channels now. They, they need programming to fill their airtime. Definitely. Sure. Definitely. And I was also quite fond of the uh, the secretary who popped up in the one episode, whose whose name I do not know. Uh, but when uh, when Tommy and Ben walked out of the company and she enthusiastically joined them, and then <laughs> when they ordered pizza, she just said, I've made a huge mistake. 
<laughs> yeah, it was that was a nice little play on you know the Jerry Maguire trope, as it were. Yeah, definitely. The the other um uh the, the other one I always go to the other moment I always go to like the her her walking out is again it's another Lucy Punch moment, but that whole geography of England and English accents sequence oh, may that, be one of my favorites. That scene should be an instant classic. Yeah. It, for me, it is, and apparently, it just the show did not connect. I, I think part of it is also horrible that, uh, you know, more recently, I think just a month or so ago, I tried to go back when Fox had put up all these clips on YouTube to promote the show. They had this clip as well, and when I went back to find it about a month later, they removed it from their YouTube page. So it seems like almost they're trying to bury the show, and that's sad because I really wish, you know, if they'd release it on DVD, it might find a following. Like. You know, like Firefly did, and or like Arrested Development did, and but it seems like Fox is intent on burying it. Like maybe they don't want it to get a following because it'll make them not look too too hot for having canceled it. I just remember when we were looking at this this fall Fox lineup, and you have Brooklyn Nine Nine, Dads, New Girl, and Mindy Project. If you just take Dads out of there and put Ben and Kate in, I'd be such a happy. Such a happy TV viewer. Well, and, and, and again, it's impossible for me to, I mean, and, and I, you know, anything is possible in the TV landscape, but it's impossible for me to imagine that if the show had stayed on, that it wouldn't have gained viewers. I couldn't imagine it losing viewers. But I mean, you know, people are strange. It just seemed very odd to me that Fox was intent on giving Mindy Project a second chance, and well, now they're giving it a third chance, while, you know, giving Ben and Kate not that much of an opportunity to grow an audience itself. Uh, you know, I ideally I wouldn't want to cancel any of them because I like Mindy Kaling and it's good that she's got her own TV project. But I, I feel like they gave Mindy Project the chance just that Ben and Kate should have maybe received instead. Yeah. Especially considering the Mindy Project has bigger cast, has a bigger cast and, you know, bigger name performers like Chris Messina, who's uh, I, I would think fairly recognizable more so than anyone on Ben and Kate's cast, and, uh, as well as I burn holes. And that they used to bring in all those you know, they used to bring in some pretty big name guest stars as well. It's it always remained odd to me that they gave Mindy Project more chances than they did Ben and Kate. I assume that's a function of wanting to be in the Mindy Kaling business more than they necessarily wanted to be in the Nat Faxon business, which may have been a miscalculation. Well, and you know, we should also, of course, we haven't mentioned Dana Fox, who created the show. Uh, right. Yes, and uh, Jake Kasdan, who, who uh, directed the pilot, you know, and one of the other episodes. Also, just before I forget, Lynn Shelton directed an episode of Ben and Kate. That's kind of awesome. Really? Oh, shit. Yeah. I had no idea. She which one? Yes. She directed the the trip, which is when Tommy meets his girlfriend, and uh, that's when Kate finds out that Will is rich. Oh, yeah, where they go to the cabin, and uh, Ben walks through greeting all the trees. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that was actually a pretty good episode. Oh. Yeah, definitely. Well, we we haven't really talked about um, we've talked a little bit about them, but let's, I just want to give a little bit of props here to to Nat Faxon. When the when the show first started, I I had issues with that character. He felt too broad. Um, but then as it developed, I've really gotten to you know I became a big fan of his as well as Dakota Johnson. I I don't I mean she's she's actually playing older than she is. She's like wasn't she like twenty three or something when the show started. Um, it's just such a great performance from her. It's been, you know, it's been really, really great adding these actors to just sort of the realm of, I, unfortunately, I guess, character actors for now. Uh, do do we think that Nat Faxon is going to blow up in the next few years or, you know, thanks to a, a particular 
color themed film will uh will Dakota Johnson become a more household name? Well, it just seems it's it seems bizarre to me that she was cast in Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, I, I haven't read it. I'm never going to read it. But I know enough about it to know that it's pretty much completely humorless. And that just seems to counter her natural strengths. I mean, I'm sure she's a fine, dramatic actress. But that's just, I mean, other than the money, that's got to be a bummer. Yeah, but then again, I think it's the money and the and like Kate says, the the possibility of more widespread visibility. I I really wouldn't be surprised if she kind of parlays that into a starring role on another sitcom, uh, one that hopefully does play more to her comedic strengths. Uh, she'd be she'll definitely be a lot more, more marketable after that movie comes out. Uh, so it, uh, I can believe that you know, unlike Nat Faxon, he's got the writing he's got the writing career to fall back on. Echo Kellum hasn't had trouble finding uh, work. He got Sean Saves the World. And uh, Lucy. Uh, outside of Lucy Punch, Dakota Johnson was maybe the least recognizable out of all that cast. So it's, it kind of does make sense. She's looking to boost her profile and get some money in the process, most likely. It, it's definitely it's a business decision that makes sense. And actually, that casting really makes sense to me because, um, I, as I understand it, again, I haven't read Fifty Shades of Grey, but I, doesn't that main character supposed to be very much an every woman? She's sort of a very underdeveloped character, and uh, in in the hands of a more savvy writer, she would be an every woman. But as it is, yeah, she's a very underdeveloped character, which I guess you could say is the Dakota Johnson into that is is sort of relatable. Yeah, she feels very relatable and approachable, and I could also see her. You know, unfortunately, I don't think people have enough awareness of her to to know how good she is so she may not seem particularly like threatening or like oh i could never be as funny as or as pretty as or as fill in the blank when so they want someone who is is not as known to audiences and unfortunately even after having her own sitcom that is still kind of the case with the code johnson do we have any other thoughts on, on benny kate uh, like favorite episodes favorite moments I, I will say that this is the opposite of those things, but the, the one aspect of the show that I that I always did find a little bit tiresome, and I, maybe they would have fixed it over time, was I I very quickly tired of Ben's attempts to be, be an entrepreneur and invent things and make money so that they could you know live comfortably happily ever after. It was just a little bit too repetitive and broad for me, whereas so much of the rest of the show was a little bit more subtle and nuanced and just straight up funny. It wasn't one of the funnier wellsprings for them. So I would like to think that the longer the show went on, the more they would have done something else with that character. And I think they started to do that with the whole uh, rail mall thing, just giving him some, some consistency for a few episodes made a big difference. Yeah, I, I agree. Depine, how about you? Any favorite episodes or moments? Uh, well, I, it's difficult to say. There's so many to choose from that. I don't know which one to, which one to single out. Uh, you know, I I really did like episode episode thirteen, the one with uh, with BJ's uh, geographical accent tour of England. Uh, and but the thing I really liked about the show as a whole was that you know even even for just sixteen short episodes, there's a staggering amount of character development more so than some more so than some characters on other shows get in entire seasons. And I really like that storylines in one episode ramifications in the next episode like you, when you see uh, you know you see Kate get the check from her father and then the next episode she's sort of going off to college and she's quit her uh, position with Ben 
gets the, he sees the double decker pizza and he's he's sad about how that idea got away from him and then he really focuses on the rail mall idea so i really like the the amount of character development they you know and the thought they put into the characters as a whole that through 16 episodes um, you know when the show ends there is a clear you know there there's a there's some clear forward momentum on all characters parts yes yeah, so especially if, you know, just think of the other shows we've been watching just in the in the time since Ben and Kate went off the air just you know a matter of months look compare the their the characters and their relationships to what we're getting on even Brooklyn Nine-Nine which is a show that we really like and you can't I mean if you really want to have fun with it compare their d- character development and the relationships on something like Ben and Kate to like S.H.I.E.L.D. it's not even close it's hilarious how, how far off that is and unlike yeah, I feel like it's been a while since there was a really good comedy nobody was watching. And this, Ben and Kate, really, that's why it stands out to me. Much like Bunheads did, where it was just this really good show. Bunheads was more of a niche thing, I get that. But for Ben and Kate, it's this really good show that nobody was watching. And, um, you know, when we we're looking at, you know, this is a bad fall for comedies. And yet, we have shows that are that have really broken through and become a success and and they don't have the, the the characters or the relationships that this show had, and it just it really it's one of those shows. It just really is a shame. Yeah, I I agree. It's it's one of those shows that when I watch b- back episodes now, I'll laugh and I'll enjoy it, but I'll constantly be thinking, why didn't this go anywhere? And we we put forward theories, but none of them are quite satisfying to me. Definitely. The last thing I want to make sure to mention is that, uh, well, there are several episodes. I I really liked the introduction of the father and getting that sense of of who he is. Um, There are three episodes out there, fans of Ben and Kate, that if you live in the U.S., you may not have seen. And I would advise people, I would advise Fox to put out a DVD so that we can all watch them in the U.S. legally. That would be very nice. Uh, because they might be really, really good, she said, not incriminating herself. Um, yeah, it, the, the, this is a show that deserves to really be seen and should be championed by Fox as something that they supported, even just for one season. But hey, they put it on the air, and other networks would not have put a show like this on the air. Yeah, that's true. I, I could not agree more. Uh, there is one There is one scene in particular that I think, uh, you know, upon, upon reflection, I liked, uh, but... You know, there's the context of it when in episode 13, when uh, when Will comes back to uh, when Will tries to win Kate back after uh, after he sees her with the baker, uh, Luca Jones, whose character's name I do not remember. Wow, I'm horrible at this. Uh, <laughs> but I really like I really like that scene because instead of, uh, you know, instead of having a drawn out, will they won't Kate just flat out shut him down. That I'm still the same person you broke up with. Are you okay with all those quirks that you were not okay with just a, just a little while ago? If not, then this is not going to work. Let's not, not even try. I, I really love that scene for that real reason. Uh, you know, uh, Kate didn't come off as flighty. She didn't come off as, uh, you know, unsure of herself. In, in a way, we've got a real sense of the character that she may, she may lack some confidence in some arenas, but in other ways, she really knows exactly who she is, and she's not afraid to... You know, she's not afraid to exercise that when when the time comes. Well, and also just can I add, it's really nice to see uh, someone who had a kid, a character who had a kid when she was really young, not be the kid in the relationship and the par- the kid is the adult, you know, 
Unlike it's like unlike we all love Gilmore Girls. Yes, that was wonderful on Gilmore Girls. But the fact that that has been a repeated idea so frequently, yeah. On Ben and Kate, Kate had a kid when she was a teenager, and that made her grow up really quickly. Because in order to raise a child by yourself, you need to be an adult, and it was really very. It's just wonderful to see that to see that character be so. Uh, yes, she has quirks. Yes, she you know can be. Uh, an interesting character, shall we say, and a lot to deal with, maybe. But she is very responsible. She takes her parenting 100% seriously. She's a great mom, and she works her butt off to be able to do it all. And that's just that's something you don't really see on TV right now. Yeah, I agree with that. And the relationship between the mother and daughter was clearly a very loving one. Uh, you know, th there was no acrimony there. There was no false friction between them. It just felt like a very genuine, real relationship without any false hate to just spice things up for the sake of TV. Yeah, no conflict for the sake of conflict. That's definitely true. And and I really do think if I'm going to come up with one descriptor, I think you're absolutely right to pine. It's genuine. It feels like a very genuine show. Very real people with very real relationships with, with you know, a lot of silliness because it is a TV show. But but the central characters, the people at this, the heart of all of this silliness uh, are still just, they feel very authentic and real. They feel like this is a show that is based on the creator's relationship with her brother. And much like the Goldbergs is this season, you really get a sense of that, that this, these are based on real experiences. Do we have any final thoughts? Uh, only that talking about the show has just made me a little bit sad. Mm, tears. Okay. Japayan. Well, uh, I actually have a question for both of you. Uh, had the show continued, is there anyone in particular you'd have liked to see take on the role of Maddie's father? Ooh, didn't we meet him? Well, no, we met the guy who was living in his house when he oh, abandoned yes. that house. Yes, you're right, you're right. I don't know. Oh, you should have given me, given us some warning on that. I gotta ponder. Okay, Simon, you go mm. first. Oh, great. Um, who would have been good as Maddie's father? Um, I'm going to go to my stock answer for all sitcom uh, male bit parts and say Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> no, he has to be younger because they were both teenagers. So it had to be early 20s. CGI? <sighs> I don't, I don't know. I think we should throw that one out to the listeners. So if you're, if you're a fan of, of Ben and Kate like we are, let us know who is a good early 20 something to play to play the the dad adam play... driver okay i can't really see that <laughs> neither I... can i but wouldn't it be interesting <laughs> fair enough fair enough um yeah that's a great question um I, I have two final thoughts i guess which are first of all if people like ben and kate they should watch moon boy because it has very much, it, Moon Boy sort of filled the Ben and Kate shape hole in my television heart this year. And it's this this, a, this really great family comedy, this Irish family comedy with Chris O'Dowd as the imaginary friend of a young boy. And uh, it's it's pretty great. And then the other thing is, I got to mention the scavenger hunt because I just loved it so much when they did that on, uh, on Ben and Kate. It was just, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. So thank you, Defiant, so much for coming on to talk Ben and Kate with us. Gone but not forgotten. Uh, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, well, you can find me writing for Sound on Sight. I do TV reviews for four shows currently, uh, Supernatural, Awkward, Vampire Diaries, and Nikita. And I occasionally also write uh, film stuff. 
very, very rarely, once every three months maybe. Uh, you can find me on Twitter under the handle Dean Epe. You've been uh, sort of our one of our genre go-to people at Sound on Sight, and thank you so much for taking over Vampire Diaries from me. Oh, dear sweet baby Jesus, thank you. Uh, You're welcome. It's fabulous reviews. You can you can read read what Depine has to say about Vampire Diaries, and because I I don't have to watch it now, it's very exciting. See, but I follow what you write so that I know what's going on, so that I can be conversant. It's very helpful. It's very helpful. Um, but anyways, thank you again, Depine, so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. We're gonna be done before you and Maddie get home from the audition. How is that going, by the way? So great. Yeah, we're really bonding. No. No, no, no. What is happening with your accent? I've been listening to the Bye-Bye Say All Die. Am I on the BBC? Have I got my own radio show? No, I don't. You're supposed to be my child, so listen to me, okay? Try this. Hello. Hello. Hopeless. You sound like a northern trollop. I want you to get on a train and go south to Birmingham, right? Then I want you to change trains. You're going to end up in Bristol. Hop on a train, whiz to London. Spot Michael Caine walking his dog. Don't talk to him. Gonna see some Aussies having a latte. You feel thirsty, you want a cappuccino? No, get out of your cab at South Kensington. Now try it again. Hello. Hello. Well, thank God we're both pretty.